Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. O oh God, our helper, show us your ways and teach us your paths. By your Holy Spirit, open our minds that we may be led in your truth and taught your will. Then may we praise you by listening to your word and by obeying it. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb. For terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the Lord be with you. I can't begin to tell you how excited I am to be here with you this morning. And whether you are watching what we're doing online or you're here in person, it is still so cool. I've been looking forward since January because in my naivete, I thought we would be back in person in worship in January, and I, I couldn't wait for this day to arrive. Carol already beat me to the punch, but I just want to have you join me again, whether online or in person. The Lord is risen. I know you can do better, guys. I think the people online are beating you right now. The Lord is risen. Amen and amen. He is risen indeed. Before I share the few words that I have with you, I did want to piggyback on what Pastor Henry said, because today and this coming week will be really one of the last times I'll be around the church for a while. Uh, the church has been so generous and so loving and kind. They are allowing me to, uh, to go on a sabbatical from April the 5th through July the 6th. And I, I do again want to express gratitude to our elders and our, our leadership, uh, our, our staff, for their, their unstinting support 
toward me while I'm on this sabbatical, and I want to encourage you to be praying for Judith and me. I know that we pray for you, we pray for our church every day, and uh, even while we're on the sabbatical, we will continue to do that. So looking forward to coming back and being among you uh, later in early July. So just wanted you to, to be aware of that in case you hadn't heard the news. The picture you're looking at on the screen is actually from a series, a teaching series that we started here at the church that we're calling From the Inside Out. And throughout the series, what we've been trying to say is that for human beings, change happens from inside of us. And that is a pretty daunting task, as you and I know how difficult it is to change and to become our better selves. Part of the reason is that the interior life, and there is such a thing as the interior life, it is often so woefully overlooked, it is dismissed, it's underdeveloped, it is starved. And so what do we do instead? We focus on the outside. That we can manage well. We all get a bath, we all change clothes, we all do the appropriate things externally so as to send a certain kind of message. But at the end of the day, that is a pretty shallow way to live, a shallow way to present ourselves. And God doesn't want that. God wants truth. God wants to relate to us from within. And I think a lot of people don't understand what the Christian life is all about. They assume that it's a bunch of rules and regulations and conforming to some external religious order. But I'm just here to tell you again that what God wants from us is that God wants to know us from deep within. And, and that's why it is so wonderful that I have the privilege on Easter Sunday to remind us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power is available to us today to raise us, to deliver us, to help us, and to change us. Now, some of you know this, but I, and some of you may not, but during Holy Week and Easter, I don't know what it is that evokes within journalists and documentarians and skeptics and scholars and naturalists, they use this week that we've just gone through as a platform to sort of poke holes at the notion that Jesus rose from the dead. I don't know why they do it. These people seem to come out of the woodwork during this week of Holy Week. But I want you to know that this is nothing new. If you were listening to the reading of the text, you will notice that the resurrection of Jesus was a very confusing event for the first witnesses. And it still remains a very confusing spectacle to the world. And so you go all the way back to the ancient historians, to the scholars, to even to the people walking on the street, and you'll find that people struggle with the notion of resurrection because they know intuitively that the dead don't rise. Dead people stay dead. That's the universal experience that everyone has agreed on. And the early Christians themselves, they weren't ignorant folks, oblivious to the laws of nature. But what they discovered that first Easter morning, it totally rattled their thinking. It rattled their thinking. But those who have the platform to influence thought, to shape Western worldview, 
they continue to insist year after year after year, no resurrection. It's as if they want to cancel Easter. Why? Why? Because if Jesus is raised from the dead, then it means a new power has been let loose in the world. And that power, that person of God, of Jesus then, is holding us accountable for how we live in the body. And the writer of Hebrews says it this way, and before him, no creature is hidden. Think about that. But all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Now, we can just dismiss that notion if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But there is a second problem with the resurrection, not only whether it happened, but the larger question is, does it matter? What's the big deal? People are asking that question. They were asking it 2,000 years ago, and they're still asking it today. Can an event of antiquity have resonance for people living in the 21st century? Why on earth do we make such a big deal? And we are making a big deal, right? We're pulling out the stops this morning. Does it matter? And I say to you this morning, of course it matters. The resurrection has something to say regarding the human condition. It speaks to our needs in a way that nothing else in this world, if we give it a chance, can speak to us. And I think the early Christians were convinced of this, and they knew not only that it had taken place, but that it was an event of enormous significance. And so central to the resurrection was their message, and you see it in Luke, you see it in the book of Acts, where it says that Peter and John, they went about preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And so if the resurrection didn't matter, then why would these women have been so terrified? Why were they so shocked? Well, I think it's because they realized that the resurrection of Jesus was of profound significance. And they were trying to wrap their minds around what happened. Who's the guy sitting on the rock? Why is there only the burial cloth? We did put a body around into that cloth. Where is the body? I mean, all these questions are pulsating through their minds. But they knew something had happened. Now, before I go any further, let's just be clear when we say resurrection, what we're talking about because it's important that we understand this, and I'm assuming you do. Because when we talk about resurrection, we're not talking about Jesus' survival. We're not talking about sort of this lingering memory, a memorial of Jesus. Otherwise, we can say that about everybody and anybody who has died. I remember I was growing up in Jamaica. It was the year 1975, and news reached the shores of our island home that Emperor Haile Selassie of Ethiopia had died. He was dead. Now, if you've ever been to Jamaica or you read anything about Jamaica, there is a, a very significant religious movement in Jamaica called the Rastafarian Movement. And these are people of, uh, of faith. These are people who, they have a belief system. And uh, when they heard the news that Selassie was dead, they poo-pooed it. They said, no, no, nothing, nothing goes so. That's not true. And you could go around the island of Jamaica at that time and you would see spray painted in graffiti form on walls, Selassie lives. Selassie lives. He was dead. But for them, they said, no, he's alive. His influence 
in their minds is living on and they speak about him in the present tense and in the same the same thing happened in 1975 when Elvis 77 when Elvis, Elvis Presley died thousands of people were shocked at his death and even to this day now maybe in 2020 not so much but in prior years people would make the annual trek to Graceland in Memphis Tennessee and they would get married there and they would sing his songs and for them Elvis was still alive and what they're talking about is the memory of Elvis Presley but the resurrection of Jesus is not the survival of memories or good feelings about Jesus the resurrection of Jesus is not about his resuscitation. It doesn't mean that because he died, now, now he's going to be brought back again only to die again. We're not talking about survival. We're not talking about good memories. We're talking about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is alive now and for all eternity. And so when the women arrived at the burial place, what did they expect to find? They expected to find a corpse. Instead, they found that the stone had been rolled away. And you could just hear them saying, what? Who did this? And as they entered the tomb, we read they saw a young man, an angel, dressed in white, sitting on a, on a stone. And he could just see their faces. And he says to them, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. I know who was crucified. That much they knew. But they, he said these words to them, he has been raised. He's not here. He's not here. Look, there is the place where they laid him. And you could just see them looking, and there is the empty cloth. And then there's this strange ending to the reading. I don't know if you caught it. The angel says to them, go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and they fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now, let, let's be clear about this. I don't think it means that these women, after receiving that news and those instructions, just kind of zipped it and said, uh-uh, you can't get it out of us. We're not telling anyone Where's Jesus? Oh, we don't know. That's not what it means, that they just went home and for the rest of their lives kept that secret buried. Otherwise, they would be mainline Christians, right? Yeah, that was a joke. <laughs> right? We just kind of keep it. We don't tell anyone. No, I think what that means is as they left the tomb, they didn't say anything to the passersby. They didn't say anything to any strangers. They did exactly what the angel told them to do. And they went directly to the disciples and told them, he is alive. One of the, one of the leading New Testament scholars of early Christianity, Dr. Dominic Crossan, often asked this very troubling question about the resurrection. And I wanted to trouble you. Because he said, even if Jesus did rise from the dead, so what? Very nice for him. But what's it got to do with anything? I mean, that's what we should be asking today. Why? What does the resurrection really mean? Well, I think it, it has great significance within our world. And before I take my seat, let me just share with you four, four significant ways in which the resurrection 
has great meaning and has great purpose for your life and for how we live in this world. I think one of the first things we want to notice that is that death is defeated. Death is defeated. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead and he will never die again. He will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And what I said in my notes, you see it on the screen, death lost that day, Jesus one. On Easter morning, Jesus' heart began to beat again, and it never stopped beating. Did you know that? I think about the funeral of Lazarus. Jesus went to Lazarus' grief-stricken sister, Mary, and said, Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will, will, will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And that's the question I would ask you that Jesus asked of Mary. Do you believe this? His death means no death for us. His resurrection means our resurrection. I think a second implication that is of great importance is the idea that failure is not final. And I don't know about you, but again, my ears perked up when I when I heard the words of the angels to the three women, go and tell his disciples and Peter. Could have just said, go tell the disciples. Go and tell the disciples and Peter that he's going on ahead of you. Peter had just landed in the most colossal failure that he ever landed in. He very publicly on Monday, Thursday said to Jesus, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'll even give my life for you. And by the Good Friday that night when they started questioning him and saying, aren't you one of them? Fear gripped his heart and he said, I don't know him. And they came back and said, don't you? No, I don't know him. And then it says he cursed and said, get away from me. I don't know this man. And the minute he denied him the third time, you heard the rooster crowing in the distance, and Peter just was just so heartbroken, so frail, so weak, so defeated. But go and tell the disciples and Peter, Jesus doesn't give up on his disciples. No matter how great their failure, no matter how colossal their faults, other people may wash their hands of us. Other people may turn away from us, but Jesus says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. You know, friends, the older I get, and I, 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 I talk to people just about every day about forgiveness. And the biggest problem we have with forgiveness is believing that God forgives us and that because God forgives us, we can forgive ourselves. And I see so many people today suffering under the burden of not being able to receive Forgiveness, what the resurrection tells us is that Jesus rose from the dead to forgive us of our sins. And, and failure then is not fatal, it's not final. But God still has a plan for us, no matter how deep you have fallen. And I don't know what kind of failures you have fallen into, but I just want you to know that word, that the resurrection of Jesus assures us that he cares about us and he loves us. Here's the third thing, that God uses imperfect people. And so, again, in our reading, we read that they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, at least nothing to anyone in the streets. 
for they were afraid. It's okay to be afraid. It's scary today in today's America to stand up for Jesus. It is scary today to stand up and be counted as a follower of Jesus. But God used these shell-shocked women, and God wants to use you. I've been reflecting a lot on what 2020 was like and how horrible a year that was. The numbers of people that we lost from this church, from our state, from our nation, and around the world, it was just immense. And here we are starting out 2021. We're the fourth month into the new year, and it feels like the darkness from 2020 has just crept over into 2021. January 6th, I don't know about you, but I'm going to use a word. I, I witnessed this disgraceful attack on the U.S. Capitol building, and then the five lives were lost, including Officer Sicknick's life. March 16th, we all heard the news of the mass shootings in Atlanta. Eight people killed. Six of them were Asian Americans. And then a week later, another mass shooting in Colorado with people shopping in a supermarket and 10 people didn't make it home. And then just Good Friday, Good Friday, I was just shocked again. A lone attacker, young man, 25, 26 years old, got in his car, just drove deliberately into these two U.S. Capitol officers, killing one of them, and in the process was shot by one of those officers and killed. The thing that gets to me the most is every day I watch the news and I read the articles and I'm still trying to wrap my mind around this, this sudden rise again in hatred toward Asian Americans, this, this senseless, shocking attack on fellow human beings, Asian Americans living in this country. And I'm just trying to understand what is going on. What is going on? And so Dominic Croissant is right. Even if Jesus did rise from the dead, very nice for him. What's it got to do with anything else? How does the resurrection make a difference in D.C.? How does the resurrection make a difference in how we as a diverse people relate to each other? How does the resurrection makes, make a difference in how we treat our neighbor? with what's happening with homelessness and with hunger and with all the pain and the brokenness that we're now seeing repeatedly in 2021. How does the, the, the resurrection of Jesus change any of that? Well, here's how I see it. The resurrection is a call to mission. The resurrection is a call to action. And the angel of God sent the trembling women on a mission. Go and tell, go and tell. And God, through his power, resurrection power, is also asking his church to go and tell. And in a few weeks, on April 16th, we're going to hear the ascension story read. And you're going to read how the disciples were standing there looking up in the sky as Jesus was ascending. And Jesus, before he ascended, told them, I want you to stay in Jerusalem because I've got a mission for you. 
I want you to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and let my love be known. And I'm telling you, if there's no resurrection, there's no mission. But in the mainline church, we've really turned it around. We celebrate the resurrection as a big party and then we go home and we have a wonderful supper. But the resurrection, if we believe it, it is a call to action. The power of God enabling us to put our convictions into action. And so all the stuff and the mess that's going on in the world, God is looking to his church. He's looking to you, he's looking to me to be on a mission, helping to bring the kingdom of God to bear on the wickedness and the darkness of our world. Here's the last thing before I take my seat. It's just to remember then that because of the resurrection, maybe this is the biggest thing of all, our sins are forgiven. One of my favorite passages that I learned to memorize very early was from Romans 10 and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart or in your mind that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's really important for us to hear this morning. Jesus is our savior. He forgives us of our sin. I love the way Tim Keller puts it, where he talks about when Jesus comes into your life, a life quake happens. That when a big, big 18-wheeler is going over a small bridge that the bridge shakes, and you call that a bridge quake. I would never do it, but some of you have. You're from Michigan and Wisconsin and Minnesota. You walk out on a frozen lake. And yes, sometimes it holds. And other time, what times what happens? The lake, the, the ice begins to crack. And when that happens, you have what's called an ice quake. When Jesus comes into a person's life, forgiving them of their sin, you have a life quake. Because what happens is Jesus then, he rolls away from your life that big old stone of sin that has so many of us bound. He takes the burial cloth of sin and he pitches it away. And just like he said to Lazarus, come out of the tomb, he says to you and me, come out of the deadness of your sin. I'm going to give you life. And suddenly your priorities get reordered. The significance of who Jesus is, he moves from just being a name on your lips or a, 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 a belief system in your mind. And he becomes this real person with whom you live and walk and breathe and serve and make a difference in the world. And some of us are yet to have that. We're yet to have that. We have membership. We have church. We have sort of a, a religious aura. But our lives have never been rocked by the resurrected Christ. And I'm asking you this morning as I take my seat that you would now put your trust in the Lord as your Savior. You would submit to him. You would say, God, I can't do life by myself. I've tried it. It's not working. Lord, I come to you. Save me. Change me. Deliver me. Help me. Lift me out of my stuff and put me on that sure footing. And if you ask Jesus to do that, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. 
He's going to do it. That's one prayer. That's one prayer you can be guaranteed that our Lord will answer. And then now church begins to have meaning. And then you begin to understand what it means to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God in America. And you begin to understand what it means to be a member of a community and that your life now is on a mission for, with the resurrected Christ. And some of us just haven't gotten there yet. And I so want that for us because then you begin to live. Because here's what happens. When Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul had a PhD in, in theology. Paul had a name, he had power, he had rec recognition. He had authority to do all kinds of amazing things. And then he met Christ and he says, you know what? I take all of this stuff, all of my accomplishments, all of the things that I was striving for, I pick them up and they're nothing but dung to me now for the sake of knowing Christ. Come on, church. Have you met him? Have you met him? And so at the close of our worship service, we'll have an opportunity both here and online to pray with a prayer companion. And you could be praying about wanting to have that life quake, or you could just be praying for a loved one, somebody that you know who is just going through a difficult time. People are here to pray with you and online and to be a blessing to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen.